yeah it was all about the um whether it's woodcuts and etchings are very different they're completely different like almost opposite sides of the spectrum of how you're creating them and how they're being printed um because on one of them you're you're actively working on the area that's going to be printed and on like a woodblock or relief you're working on the areas that you don't want to be printed like you're actively carving away all the stuff you don't want you're never actually working on the stuff that yeah. is being printed like instead of you know carving the line that's going to be printed you're carving the shape around the line so they're very different but at the same time they both have these problems to solve of how do you get tone how do you get something other than just black yeah um and again they have very different answers about how they how you do that but in all that problem solving about how you get grays how you get texture how you get something that's not just blah or lazy looking something that looks finished yep. um all of that stuff got put somewhere in my head where then when i returned back to doing kind of traditional ink illustrations it was all there yeah. whether it had to do with my overall line weight or about cross hatching or stippling um, and how to create lots of different values of gray in my work where it still is very readable. It's still graphic enough. You can, you're not getting lost. Did you struggle? Did you struggle with um, uh, scale? Because I mean, printmaking typically is one-to-one -one in scale and, you know, while printing is typically a reduction. So did you, yeah. did you go, did it, were there early sort of like, Oh, this is coming out way darker than I wanted it to. Um, I had more of a, this is coming out darker than I wanted it to when it came to just color. And that's just a, like, it always prints a little darker and, and until you're used to that and knowing what you're seeing on the screen, isn't necessarily exactly what you're getting until you can like mentally and optically compensate for that. There's, there's not a lot to be done. Um, but no, I didn't have a whole lot of reduction problems with the ink work. I must have done some kind of, like, just printing it out even on my home printer, just mm -hmm. to know that it wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna lose enough detail to matter. Um, the the actually the very first page that I ever drew of Mouse Guard because it's a square it's a square book. Yeah. Um, and it prints it eight by eight. I think originally I thought it was going to be eight and a half by eight and a half because I thought of a standard sheet of paper. And if you just take a standard sheet of paper and lop the top off until it's square, it'd be eight and a half by eight and a half. But the place that I did the self-published first issue um, said the widest they could go was eight. And I was like, okay, make it eight by eight then. Um, but the first page that I ever drew, same kind of thing, like with the eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper, I had a pad of 14 by 17 Bristol. Okay. Yeah. And so to get those down to square pages, I just lop off the top until it's 14 by 14. Yeah. But I had a dinky scanner back then and I had, and it was a splash page too. It didn't have panel gutters where I could kind of hide the seams. Sure. Um, I had to scan that thing in four parts. Oof. And this is before Photoshop had those kind of tools to help you align, align and stitch. And yeah, I was doing that all manually and, uh, and I went, this is too damn big. I gotta, I gotta go with a smaller, <laughs> a smaller page size. So I went down to 12 by 12. Okay. That fit, I think that fit on the scanner that I had or came really close to fitting on the scanner that I had. Yeah. It's, it's so funny. The early sort of like, 
Oh, so the, anyway, that that reduced. I think that one might have had some quality issues with the reduction, but it was only one page, and it was early days. So, right, yeah, yeah. No, it's that's in, uh, that's interesting. Yeah, and I guess I'm so. What are you? You're probably working with forty percent or thirty or forty percent larger. You know, on that when you went to the uh, twelve inch page, um, that's kind of cool. Yeah, twenty five. It's twenty five percent, right? Because it's yeah. Eight. Well, it's a fifty percent larger, so it's one hundred and fifty percent. If you go from eight to twelve, okay, I'll trust you on that. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Well, this is this is math session. <laughs> right here. Um, yeah, so I mean, but that's I mean, it's interesting how like I I do. I mean, the tech the tech is so good now, like with that we have available to us, and it's really interesting how we. Uh, I, I kind of miss all the sort of curious solutions we had to come up with, you know, when what was available to us 20-ish years ago and how we had to kind of like make things work. It's It seems like it feels primitive, but it also was such a great achievement to say, I did this. <laughs> yeah, I guess I don't. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to do it? I didn't have to do too much. I mean, it, it was mainly like... Um... You either using a computer program that didn't have the functionality that I wanted it to, but I found a workaround or um, stuff like scanning in multiple parts and having to stitch it back together by hand or stuff like that. But not not too much of the like I never had to use a waxer or a rubolith or any of those kind of like old old uh, mock up, um, yeah, you know, getting cool. getting a piece ready for photography. I didn't have to yeah. do any of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was interesting when you would you dabble in that stuff. So that's the question: the going with the um, the printmaking, like that must have given you a greater sense of understanding of what was necessary to create, you know, the artwork. You think? Do you feel? Do you feel like that you had a sort of vision of it, or you really had to ask? Um, you mean when it comes to production, or when it comes yeah. to like making a story? No, 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 not making a story, making the actual production piece. Like, not well, I mean, I think one of the things that printmaking trains you to do, even if it's a different, a t- like a totally different production path, is there, there are so many steps between your idea and your final print when you're doing an etching or a woodcut, or mm-hmm. especially with an etching, there's, there's so many indirect processes before you're actually pulling paper off of an image and getting what you're, you know, what you were striving for, right. That you have to plan ahead. You have to, you have to always be thinking two to three steps ahead. Mm. And so there was nothing about the production side of making comics. Um, even like the printing side of it that really correlated in any way, other than just, I, I already knew to be trying to think as much as much experience as I had, which was very little, already be thinking two to three steps ahead, just looking for problems or trying to, uh, trying to make sure I wasn't making things worse for myself. But that's the, you know, don't sell yourself too short in that situation. There have been plenty of people who have sort of drawn themselves into a corner with oh, what sure. done, and they're like, Oh, I didn't know I needed to have this on a separate thing or whatever. Right. Uh, which is but, you know, heartbreaking. Yeah. But I mean, stuff like, like, um, doing uh you know like if you're not used to making comics and you go like oh and i want a two-page spread here but you haven't actually 
planned out your pagination for mm -hmm. a comic, um, it's very easy to, to not realize you're starting the first page of your two page spread on a right side page. Right. On an odd numbered page. And mm -hmm. then like, and you don't even know that you're sunk uh, yeah. already. <laughs> Right. And, and there's nothing about like what I did in printmaking in college that prepared, you know, there's nothing about two page spreads or pagination or whatever. It was just the like, make sure you're planning ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember I, I it's funny. I would, um, my thumbnails for my comic pages were, I think I did something like two and a half inches by like an inch and a quarter or something like that. Very small, but I made a layout sheet. And then, but it, but it was that it was a pagination sheet. So it was page one was on the right side. And then, so they were all ganged in pairs. So when I was laying the book out, I knew where at sure. least I would be sitting. And I, you know, that was just one of those, whether it was dumb luck or forethought, I can't, you know, I don't remember which at this point, yeah. Um, but yeah, it is, but it is one of those things I've seen plenty of people like, you know, like they just, they throw their hands up in the air because they're like, oh, I didn't know this. And you go, Oh, or they think they can just add it. Like I'll just add a page here, right. a, a page. And it's right. like, well, if it's digital, sure, you can do whatever you want. If it's a big enough book that you're having it be um, uh, perfect bound, yeah, you know, you can kind of do that. You're still going to have a blank side to the back page, or you know, you technically need to add two pages to make that work. But mm -hmm. even still, like just people are like, oh, you just add a page. Well, yeah. it doesn't really work that way you're gonna to have to shift other things and you're actually if it's if it's saddle stitched at all you're actually adding four pages every time you add one yeah it's yeah it's a thing and it's that, a that actually that is something where you talk about like the old ways and missing the old ways and then having that achievement like um trying to put together any kind of a zine any kind of a hand stapled mm -hmm. zine i think is is so helpful for anyone who wants to do this even if you're never going to print it that way, like yeah. just when you're, when you're starting out make one zine, even if you only make one, like actual yeah. one copy, like don't, don't even worry about making enough to take to a convention or hand out to anybody. Just make one yep. and try to get everything in order the way you want it to. Now you've learned something, go ahead and use all your digital tools, go ahead and, you know, but you'll understand the mechanics of what you're trying to do digitally so that you won't, put yourself in the hole or in a corner. It, it makes it, you know, it makes me think like that would have been a great assignment, you know, in art school, like, Hey, cool. Yeah. Like this, this semester, like, or for the next, like the next month, you're all going to make a zine and that's yeah. it. Like, you know, and the, you know, I probably would have hated it, you know, because I'm like, I just want to draw comic pages, but it, it would really make you solve all those problems. Yeah. I, a friend of mine who, we grew up doing comics uh, or trying to draw comic stuff together when we were in high school. Um, and he ended up pursuing different fields and he, he always felt like he never drew consistently enough or, or had the confidence to do a comic. And I, I kind of challenged him. This was maybe even pre mouse guard or just around the time mouse guard got started. I can't remember, but I told him like, just, um, cause he, he was good about like keeping a sketchbook, going to coffee shops, oh. sketching people in a coffee shop, sketching just part of the coffee shop, like just the, the space, the location. Um, and I said, why don't you just keep a really good sketchbook and just try to, um, no matter who you're drawing live, try to make it into like two characters that are all, and you're just drawing the same head on that person yeah. uh, over and over, whether it's, that's the person there or not. 
Um, and you'll end up with this sketchbook. And then I bet you I could, with scans of those, cut it all apart and put it together in a, in a story. Yeah. Um, and, and we did that. I did a, I did a little short using just his art as the like found object panels. Um, yeah. And then, uh, and then I think that that would be, if you were doing that in, 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 uh, as a, as an assignment in class, you would, you would give them some, some amount of like maybe two or three, just so that not all the students have the exact same stuff, but two or three different packets to work with. You can only use the stuff in your packet, cut it, repeat it, et cetera, make a comic, make a short story out of it and then publish it into a zine. Yeah. 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 No, and it's, I mean, I love, I love how you're layering on the whole process. Cause I mean, I think it's like you're, you're taking sort of things that would be real world, you know, analogies that we would have to deal with in a professional environment like hey here's here's the here's the client's artwork now make the thing from this like you don't get to just make something new every single time you have a job and and even when you do make something new you know it's the there's the um the, the, you know there are different parts of this craft about just making stories there's different parts of the craft of just the just the creation not not even the printing and when you can isolate, almost like isolating variables, that's how you're going to, you know, fix the thing that's wrong. So if you need to work on your storytelling, it's very easy to get hung up in your actual drawing, to get hung up in like maybe you're, you know, you're like something's wrong with the story and it's not the story. It's your perspectives off or you're not drawing consistently or you're drawing boring panels. Right. Um, but in terms of like just panel to panel, telling a story, getting pacing, what are the sizes of the panels and stuff. That's what I like about that like found object thing is one, it's not your work. It's somebody else's work. Yep. Um, so you're not going to be precious about it. And you're really just trying to make the most interesting thing out of what's there. Um, and it isolates just the page layout, panel mm-hmm. shape, storytelling aspect. And yeah. you're not worrying about the the drawing you're not worrying about the coloring you're not worrying about perspective you're not worrying about and sure uh, you're right in in other ways uh sometimes in this business depending on what your job is you know if you're the inker you don't really get to do much about changing yeah. the artwork you you'll have your voice in there but you don't yeah. get to then go this panel's bad i want to i want to replace it <laughs> you don't get to do that uh no. if, you know if you're a letterer if you're um if you're working more like you said like uh like advertising uh you know your client gives you the work you just have to you have to put it together uh exactly but even if you're doing your own comic storytelling i think that there's value in just isolating the variables so that you can you can focus on one and that's one where you you're not going to be precious you don't have to do the work of of drawing it it's already done you're just focusing on the storytelling well, there's so there's two things that that, that that come to mind when I'm hearing you say that. One is that it reminds me of a lesson. Um, that I, so Joe Orlando was one of my teachers at the School of Visual Arts, and he was, you know, sort of a a guy at DC who had a long, long career there, and he was more on the executive side by the time, time he was teaching me. But one of his assignments, and it was a weekly assignment, was find a photograph from a magazine or a newspaper and draw what happened before and draw what happened after. And like make a story out of that. So it was a way to understand what storytelling was. Plus, you get to work on your chops as an illustrator to whatever level you could. And I thought that was like hearing you say that is like you that found object is 
this is the framework. I can't change this. Yep. You know, this is immutable. Everything else has to be kind of crafted around this. Mm -hmm. And and I, I I learned a lot in that in that you know that sort of small assignment over you know over a course of a, a year or what it was. And and the other was oh, darn it. And the other thing was I was thinking about um. Mitch, Jer Mitch Jared's, you know, working with Tom King, like how they're like Tom uses a lot of repeating panels in his, in his writing. So he's using that, you know, you were, Hey, we're just going to take that panel from here and we're going to repeat this, or you're going to zoom in on it. And you're just, you're using that as a storytelling device, but you're not needing to redraw something. So sure. there's an interesting kind of like way of thinking about how we as a uh, reader interact with that story rather than, from new every single time hmm. sure. yeah i like this we should start our own class <laughs> i mean it's also like uh like making a trailer you know if you if you have yep. your favorite movie and and you were given you know here's the full movie yeah uh make a trailer out of it like you yeah. you, you can only use what's here yeah yeah and it's it, and it's i mean it, you, sure sure and i mean how many movies have we seen trailers for when we saw the movie? We're like, it's not exactly what I remember the trailer being like, you know, because they're telling you a specific story to get you to go to that movie. Sure. And I think there's even, even within that assignment, there's different kinds of, uh, <laughs> there's different ways you can do it. How, you know, how many times have we seen the trailer and we go, I don't need to see the movie. I just did. Right. Right. You, know, you could, you could assign, Hey, everyone take this movie and condense it down to a two minute trailer. That sure. still is the movie. You know, and that's and that's a huge, you know, man, that that's actually a really great exercise in so many ways because, you know, like I, I write, you know, I write novels, and one of the hardest things to do is to write the synopsis of a novel. Like you sit and write this gigantic thing, and now, hey, can you make that a page? You know, and it's like, okay, you know, and that's like, but that's what that you're saying is take this, you know, two hour thing and turn it into under, you know, in a minute and a half, yeah, and tell that story. That's, that's, it's, it's, it's very, I mean, it's, it's a cool exercise and I'm sure there's probably other ways of doing it by taking, Hey, make turn Watchmen into, in, in, you know, into a very short, you know, two page thing. Tell sure. that story. Sure. Yeah. Huh. It's, it's cool stuff. So you were making comics with your buddies in high school, like every, Try, trying to nothing really ever done. dutifully, dutifully struggling and, and yeah. trying to come up with that, come up with that thing. Oh, you know, so another thing actually, before I dig into that is the, is it's really, you, you have a great, it seems like you have a very good mind for frameworking, like coming up with, with a sort of here's, here's a framework and we're going to build around this framework construct. And so what strikes struck me is the idea for the, um, the mouse guard story that you have with the, the other people doing the little oh, short Le legends of the guard. Yeah. Yeah, and you and you have so the it's like the 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 barkeeper says, mm -hmm. "Hey, whoever has the best story, I wipe their tab off." Yeah. And like so, you create this framework which allows every story that's being told to work, mm -hmm. you know, in there. And I think it's I mean it's a it's a very strong way to attack a uh, you know an anthology. That was um, so there were there were kind of two impetuses there one was um we had finished the first volume and i think we were in maybe i was working on the second volume when we first started talking about the the legends concept 
and uh, Jeremy Bastion, who's a really good friend of mine, uh, had done a pinup or two pinups for the first book for fall. Um, and then Mark Smiley, who was head of Archaea at the time, had done a pinup for fall as well. And no offense to the other people who did pinups for fall. They were great, but there was just something about Jeremy's and, and Mark's where I was like, these people get what Mouse Guard is. And mm-hmm. I would love to see more of their view of this world. But Mark's got his own comic. He's running a company. There's no way I can ask him to do a whole issue. We can't do a one shot of Mark's. And Jeremy right. was working and Jeremy works very slowly too. He's very methodical. There's no way I can ask Jeremy to do that. And I was like, we'd have to do short stories and it would have to be like a Canterbury Tales kind of a thing. Cause I, I don't want to be done seeing their, their view of Mouse Guard. So that was the first thing was like, let's do a Canterbury's tale, Canterbury Tales thing where we can ask people to do some amount of work that isn't overwhelming. Um, but the other side of that was what anthology comics out there based on an IP tended to work. And there weren't many that I could think of. Mm-hmm. And as a huge Hellboy fan and Mike Mignola fan, I even knew that I, I got the first strange tales that they put out and was disappointed and didn't continue. Uh, right. Eventually. I think people got me the, the whole collection as gifts. Um, and it was nice, you know, but mm-hmm. I was like, I'm a huge Hellboy fan. I'm a huge Mignola fan. Yeah. So I just tried to make a mental list of like, what would it have taken for me to engage in that more? Right. Um, and it, and it was like, I start, I just made a list. It was like, I knew from interviews, Mike wanted to be hands off. It was more the editors uh, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mike was like, I don't want to be involved. I don't want to have to tell people, no, I don't want to mess around with this. I tell Hellboy story. If I'm telling a Hellboy story, I'm probably writing it and then somebody else is drawing it if we're doing it that way, but I'm not going to let other people do stuff. So if I say it's hands off, then when something's wrong, I don't get blamed. Right. Um, so there was that he, Mike didn't do any covers. And then ultimately none of the stories mattered. Right. They were, but, but they also, why are we telling them? Yeah. Like if they don't matter, why are we telling them? Is it just purely a, a fun exercise um, so I wanted to solve those things and making it, uh, so I was very involved. I handpicked everybody and I was mm-hmm. a co-editor on the book. I did all the covers and setting up the storytelling thing so that it was, you know, to clear yeah. these bar tab and that the stories were meant to be tall tales and fables. So anytime that someone wandered way out into left field and did something that was not anything I would ever do in Mouse Garden couldn't be canon. It was okay. This was a yeah. Paul Bunyan story. Right. Yeah. No, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it, as, a, as a device, I think it's, it, it's inspired. Um, and and it, so, it, and it works and it does solve a lot of the problems that you, you pointed out. So bravo. Thank you. Yeah. So, okay. So high school kid. All right. Happened, figuring comic, figuring whatever you could with comic books out. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember that. Like, was a, was that buddy of yours the same age or older or younger? Same age. Same age. Uh, right? that, that one was the same age. The guy who I did more with was about three years older than me. Okay. Um, yeah. 
yeah, it was kind of the, I mean, there was a group of us that all did role-playing games and stuff like that. And right. sometimes some of those people would go, oh, I'll write something, or I have an idea for a comic, or I have an idea for a character. And, you know, one of us would draw what that thing was, and we'd kind of all develop it. But when it really boiled down to it, it was it was the three of us, Mike, Jesse, and myself. Mike's the one who um, did the coffee shop drawings. And then Jesse and I um, are best friends. And, and we, uh, we at some point decided we would, we were so good at this comics making thing, even though we <laughs> seriously never actually made a comic um, that we called ourselves the plot masters. We were so good at story. We're the plot masters. Okay. I have a, it's over on my shelf. I have a business card from 1996 of the plot masters. Um, and, uh, and together between Jesse and I, we came up with about 30 IPs oh, man. during that, during that time period. Some of them were things that were just mine mm-hmm. and he would like weigh in on a little, some of the things were just his and I'd weigh in on a little, and then a good hunk were things that we worked on together and they belonged to both of us. And sometimes those other friends and, you know, D and D players would, uh, would, uh, chime in or, you know, the impetus might've been their thing, but then Jesse and I really crunched down on it and made it into something. Um, and we actually did a, we did a, a limited video podcast series that you can go to theplotmasters.com Okay. And watch, um, we, we went back and, and picked, uh, we picked nine of those. And then the first part of each episode is, we explain what this thing is like. What what is this IP called yeah. Hero Squad? What is this IP called Cats Trio? Um, and we would explain it, and we'd show all the embarrassing artwork because we still have it all. We, we were good archivists, so we would show all the embarrassing stuff. We'd talk about what we were influenced by, whose artwork we were influenced by, and then at the end, we each reveal that we've done a new piece of artwork. Here's what it would look like if we were doing that thing today. Right. Um, and we did 10 episodes. Uh, the, the 10th episode is actually going back to the villain of the first IP. And we thought he deserved his whole, his own whole episode. So yeah, we did 10 episodes. Um, we wanted to do more. Like I said, we had about 30 IPs and I thought we could kind of stretch that out into about 40 episodes. Um, but turns out even, just the work of putting together the episodes and doing the artwork uh, was, was too much. And we, yeah, uh, yeah we, we barely got those 10 out. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it, it, I, I love it. I love that you, you sort of kind of dove back into this youthful, you know, efforts that you found a way to kind of exhume them, give them a little bit of a dust off. Yeah. Travel back into that time, that period. Um, because like it's like it like I mean my D and D group was a real fun group of people. We had a great time. They weren't whole across the board comic fans. Mm-hmm. A handful of them liked comics. They weren't really artsy uh, outside of that. So like my comic buddies in that group, they just like reading comics. So mm-hmm. you know we we really exchanged the sort of the the fascination about that. But we didn't really have that. I had other people who were the sort of the art people. You know from art classes or whatever. So there was a kind of a difference there, but um, I love the idea that you really kind of brought that all back into your, into, into your life for a period of time. It was fun. I, I would still love to be able to do the other ones, but uh, 
uh, I, where I pursued art uh, full time as a career, Jesse didn't. Um, yeah. And you wouldn't know by looking at his work. He did kind of half time. He was doing some freelance illustration for actually our old dungeon master owned a brewery for a while cool. um, in, in now modern times. Um, and, and Jesse was doing all the all the uh, beer label oh. uh, art and stuff like that and, and, and you know, marketing stuff. Um, so you wouldn't know by looking at his work that he didn't, but he didn't. Right. And so every time he needed to do a plot masters thing, I think it took a lot more out of him. I think he was like, how do I do this again? What if like, he had to shake the rust off every time he sat down to the drawing board? Like I said, the final work you wouldn't know, but I, I think it took a lot more out of him. Sure. I mean, probably the effort it took to get to where he felt that it was something he could share was probably a much higher climb. Than and because it wasn't his full-time gig, yeah. he was actively still having to do his regular job as well. Sure. So Come on. he was trying to shake off that rust during his, his downtime. Right. Or getting up half hour early every day just to be able to knock out a little bit of it. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, listen, what we, what we are capable of doing when we really put our hearts to it, um, is, is impressive, you know, and working around the, the, the daily obstacles that do come up. And even if it is your full-time gig, those obstacles come up regardless. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a thing. So why, so you, I mean, so you were, were you committed like in high school, like saying, Hey, art is where I'm going to pursue or. I thought so. My, my dad's, uh, um, in more of an engineering, uh, was more in more of an engineering uh, path. Mm -hmm. And, and I like problem solving and I like using my hands. I like fixing things. And, uh, we would make things from scratch to, you know, just fix things around the house. Like, Oh, that could be improved if you put a kickstand on it and that could right. be this. And, you know, um, and so he always thought I should go into engineering too. And I was like, I just don't have, I, I like doing it for, you know, around the house stuff, but I, I think I'd go mad if that was my job. Um, but he definitely, he worried, I mean, he wasn't the guy who's like, how are you going to survive on art? Um, it was more like, I'm just worried. You're not going to be able to, uh, right. just because, yeah. and, and he was like, and that's not about you. That's about the world. Yeah. Um, cause he was like, the only reason I, he, and he's told me since, I think he even told me around the time of graduation, like the only reason I'm not worried you're going into getting an art degree is because I know your talent and your drive. And like, if there's anybody I shouldn't be worried about, about trying to make this thing work, it's you. Yeah. Um, so that was very nice. You know, as much as an engineer father who tried to make sure that maybe I took a sensible path as well, or had something to fall back on. It wasn't the horror story that you hear from other people where they're like, they never believed in me. And they <laughs> they tried to push me into this other program. No, I, my parents both completely supported and, um, so there, yeah, there was a little bit of like, could, do I need something to fall back on? Do I need something that's even, not even a fallback, but going to be the reliable thing? Um, but yeah, I think from high school on, I kind of knew. Yeah. And, so and, print and, and, it, and it just waffled about what it was going to be. Right. Uh, I didn't know yeah, if it was going to be, um, like puppetry or animation or comic books or role-playing game illustrations or children's books. Um, even special effects and model making and movies, all that kind of stuff was potentially on the table from through the four years of high school and even beyond. Yeah, no, I, I, you're, you're, you're speaking the same language, man. I, I like all these things you're saying are just really, really 
you know, echoed in my heart. And uh, yeah, it is tough. I mean, I think for me, like I was really interested in a lot of that, a, a variety of things, but I loved comic books the most, I think. And I knew that like those things showed up on the shelves every month. So I guess in instinctively, I knew that there had to be work for that. So I was like, well, I guess that's the thing that I can do because it has to happen. I, I dabbled in all those other things, you know, and on a t purely amateur level, you know, mm -hmm. we, we made our own little films on VHS, uh, you know, camcorder. And I was the one who was coming up with, you know, either special effects costumes or special effects. Yeah. Uh, uh, I was the one, you know, we did, I did some animation, both stop motion and computer animation. And uh, I've, I've built and tried to perform puppets and, um, the thing about comics is it is entirely possible to put out a comic where you are the only person doing anything. You, you are a, a one person show. You are sure. conceiving, writing, drawing, inking, coloring, lettering, and even potentially self-publishing that issue. It is, it is possible to do that. Almost every other one of those things is, is, almost impossible to do by yourself if not impossible you know you you making a video game by yourself or making an animated movie or or episode by yourself is is so impossible you need a team you need an army yeah and i just thought this way i don't have anybody like i can't blame anybody i don't have to go find my people i don't have to be on the same page i can just do my story in comics and i can be alone and, and do it myself, not have to either where I'm not having to rely on anybody or I'm not messing up somebody else's thing, you know, somebody like, else's vision. I, I don't want to be the, I don't want to be the weak link. You know, I hear I'm kind of making it sound like I'm always going to be the strong link and I'm worried about other people being the weak link. I also don't want to be somebody else's weak link. So yeah. Well, if, I mean, when if I do it myself, I can do it. And then I have nobody but to, to blame or praise, but myself. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and we are, when we live and die on our, our talents, like, you know, the question of that talent is always in the air with us. It doesn't, you know, even if we're cooking along or we're doing the thing and we're doing it well, there's going to be that little question that'll pop up every so often of like, Hmm, are you sure this is the, the right answer? And you, uh, is it okay? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I get it. Like every time I work with, you know, clients, I'm like, Oh boy, oh boy. Like, Am I going to be able to give them the answer that they that's going to make them feel that they made the right choice here by hiring me? Like that's yeah. it, it, every time. Yeah, I've got a cover assignment right now. Um, it's a five issue miniseries. I've done multiple covers for this title before, mm -hmm. and yet this time I'm going. I don't. Am I going to? I think I need to do something different. I need. I don't know if I'm capable and. Right. This, and it's like, I'm trying to mentally reinvent the wheel and, and yeah. Uh, it's, 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 and it's so, it's so fucking annoying because, <laughs> you know, we're, we're, you, you like, it's like, I mean, I've been doing this for over 30 years. Like, why am I having this? Why am I having this argument? Like they called me, they called me for a reason. Like you go through this whole stupid song and dance and you break your back figuring out the things and then you, then you present the things and then they're like, usually they're like, okay, great. We let's, let's, and they, they've got feedback and you get the feedback and you do the thing. And then, the, yeah. but it's like, but boy, it's that worst 
thing. And, and you like to think, I like to think like, I don't have that sort of blank page syndrome. Like I go, like I always come up with an idea, but it's still a wrestling match. Yeah. I mean, you don't want, we, we all know artists that we've admired where at some point we look at their work and we go, Oh, they phoned that in. Right. Or I've essentially seen this. They've just swapped out this character for that character. It's the exact same layout or, yeah, or whatever. And, and I think hopefully that struggle is a, is a good sign. It means that we're at least fighting a good fight to not, to not do that, to not be phoning it in, to not be just repeating ourselves, to not just go, this is easy. Right, sure. Because our work is going to get sloppy if we do, you know? And and yeah. we as fans also realize that fans notice that. No doubt. No, no doubt. And I think I think that's a, yeah, yeah. Maybe I just wondered if like back in the day of fax machines, did someone actually send their artwork in, literally phoning their artwork in? <laughs> Possibly, yeah. It has yeah. to have happened. It has to have happened. Um, So, okay. So how do you like, so you go, you get this printmaking thing. I mean, like there's a gap between, you know, you know, printmaker David in college, you know, with, with the, I'm going to say you wore a beret and to, (laughs) and to putting, and then them to putting out like, you know, issue one of mouse card. Like there's, Mm -hmm. there's a chunk of time that happens. Um, And like, where do you like where like where did you go and where and and what brought you to that so in in high school i had wanted to do comics and like i said there were a whole host of other things that were potentially options uh in college even though there were still all these potentials the one that seemed the most logical was children's books and i had kind of given up on the idea of doing comics uh for two reasons one my work didn't look like what I saw on the shelves in comic stores. My work looked more like what you saw in children's books. And the other thing is you have to draw lots and lots and lots of drawings per page for a comic. And with a children's book, you draw one piece of artwork per page, maybe one piece per two pages. Yeah. Um, uh, Yeah. That's the like work smarter, not harder kind of a thing. Um, so that was really where I thought I was going to be in college. And I put out some samples uh, and, and, and submissions to children's book publishers. I also put out a slightly different version of that packet to um, games publishers for maybe role-playing game illustrations mm-hmm. uh, and, and got a whole, a whole bunch of nothing back. I think I got one response that was a no thank you. Um, and all the rest fell on just, I mean, they, Maybe they never even left the post office as far as I know. I mean, I got no response. Um, But I was, you know, I was, by the time I graduated, I I needed a job that was going to be able to pay my rent. And and, uh, my wife and I got married and it was all that kind of stuff for for years. Um, Graduated college in 2000 and then got married in 2003 and then started drawing mouse guard in earnest probably at the end of 2004. Okay. Um, so I would say that like, especially the 2000 to 2003 was just working a job, paying rent, visiting my girlfriend slash fiance. <laughs> and then eventually not visiting. Yeah. Okay. And then, yeah. And then that's, yeah. And then, and then also like setting up, setting up life as a married couple, you know, buying sure. a house and, and figuring out how that was going to work and commuting and, and just the, you know, just day-to-day life stuff. 
Well, what was the job? What was the job? Uh, antiques. I worked in an antiques shop. No uh, architectural antiques. So right when I graduated college, I was I was at Starbucks. Okay. And uh, and Starbucks was a great was Mike job. Drawing you? What's that? Was Mike drawing you? Mike. Isn't Mike? Well, I thought Mike Coffee Shop Mike. Oh, oh, I gotcha. Yeah, I gotcha. Mike and I actually worked at that same Starbucks for a, a minute uh, when I was Wait, still in college. Yeah. Um, no, Mike was not drawing me. He, I, he, he could have. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, so I, I worked at that Starbucks, and it was a good job when you're in college because the hours are flexible and mm. and pay wasn't bad. It was way above minimum wage. And you only had to do like 21 hours to be considered full time to get the health benefits. So great job. But I got really depressed that week after I graduated, whatever my first shift was, you know, I graduate on a Sunday, throw the cap in the air, do the graduation (laughs) parties. And then Tuesday, you you come back in for your 3 p.m. shift. And you're just like, oh, my God, I'm doing the exact I'm making people's coffee and toasting their bagels. And I can't do this forever. This is not okay. So found the job at the architectural antique shop. Um, A great. It was a really cool job. It was one of the most unique places I've ever been in my life. And it's a it's like a building. Um, Good people to work with. It just had no. It had no end game like it was. Sure. There was no part of working that no matter how long I worked there, there was no part of it that then prepared me for any other job. It's not like I could, you know, put on my resume. Well, I worked for at this antique store for seven years. Like it yeah. would have just been a lateral move. I would have been able to go work in some other shop at the same exact level. Right. Um, there was no promotion kind of stuff, but I did. I was a terrible salesman. <laughs> terrible. Um <laughs> Because I'm the kind of guy, like when I go into a store, I like to be left alone. So yeah. I was the kind of salesperson that I want to encounter. You know, I, I would greet people. I wasn't unfriendly or anything like that. I'd greet people. I'd give them, it was a very confusing store. It had three floors. It was 17,000 square feet or something like that. It was wow. huge. It was this enormous building. And I give them a little bit of the lay of the land. You know, you, even though you came in off the street, you're actually on the second floor. There's a basement level and an upstairs so stairway to the front that goes up, stairway in the back that goes to other two floors. You know, here's what's on the different floors. Let me know if you need any. Is there anything I can help you find? No? Okay. Let me know if you need any help. I'll be wandering around. And then I'd leave them alone for 20 minutes. Right. And the owner's like, did you ask what kind of house they're working on? Did you ask right. if they have a particular style they like? Did you? And I'm like, yeah. no, I'm leaving them alone. Yeah. Um, but what I found was that the uh, there was a bunch of stuff that, caught my eye like we had a brochure and it was out of date and it didn't look very good and i was like well i can redesign that brochure for you guys so i spent a lot of work hours being a graphic designer and fixing the brochure and having that printed and then well actually now all the letterhead and business cards are out of date so i'll redesign those Mm. And, and that just kept going. And then I realized like in-store signage needed to be changed. There's a lot of information that you had to give to somebody up front about where the stairwells were and what was on what floor. And we can rewire old light fixtures and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and so I just started making infographic signage for every floor. And, and I turned my job into a graphic design. Uh, and, and I also ran the online store. So I was 
doing the the web design for for the the web presence for the store. So I I turned it from a sales job into that. But um, yeah, at some point I had a call with Jesse. Actually, Jesse was working at a different coffee shop. Maybe Mike was drawing him. Uh, but Jesse was he was he was the manager of that coffee shop, and I was working antiques. And he said we're going to have to figure something out because we can't be doing antiques and coffee when we're 40. Oh, wow. And I was still in my twenties, but it just kind of was like, it was a wake up call of nobody's going to, nobody's going to walk in this door in Ypsilanti, Michigan at the antique store and go, Mr. Peterson, we know that you are destined to illustrate a children's book and or comic. (laughs) Here's your contract. It was like, I'm going to have to make this opportunity. I can't just wait for it. So um, Jeremy Bastion, who I mentioned earlier, he's a now does Cursed Pirate Girl. Um, He's originally from Ypsilanti and he worked at the art supply store there. So I knew him from that. He started doing this thing. He said, let's get, we get together every, and I think it was on Thursdays at that point. We get together every Thursday for this thing called Art Night. A bunch of the other art store employees and some of the customers. And it's just a, thing where we get together and work on whatever we were going to work on, but we do it together and we can show each other our work and just talk about process. So I started going to that. It was a very small group. There were only about three of us that were regulars and all of us were interested in comics. Hmm. And Jeremy said, you really should set up with me at the Motor City Comic Convention. And I was like, well, I, I can't really do that. I don't have a comic. Right. And he goes, oh, well, I don't have a comic either. And I've been setting up at the Motor City Comic Con for the last six years or the last whatever it was. Sure. And I was like, what? Well, what do you do? (laughs) And he's like, I just take artwork and I set it up and I put it out. And sometimes I sell originals and sometimes I sell a print of an original. And I I made a sketchbook once. I took a bunch of my drawings and did a little zine and Mm -hmm. sold a sketchbook. But I was like, okay, okay, okay. So I... I got a table, uh, actually a half table. I split it with somebody and, uh, and I, I had some prints, but mostly it was, and when I say prints, I mean, I'm printing it on like a home printer. Like yeah. they were not prints. They were just right. printouts. Um, and then I put together a portfolio that is the worst kind of portfolio to put together. It was the Swiss army knife portfolio. Just a little bit of everything in here. Look what I can do. I can also, right, right. I also have a handy uh, corkscrew attachment. And yes, I have a, four or three doorknobs and light fixtures. Right. It was insane. <laughs> um, but in there were concepts for Mouse Guard, which yeah. was already a, a story idea that I had. I just That's didn't right. know what it would it would be. And people flipping. I, I had that stuff out there more as examples of what I could do for them as a commission. Sure. Is what I, I didn't think anybody was going to be buying the originals that were in the portfolio, but I can do a commission for you in any of these styles. So and wait. When, and when people got to the mouse guard stuff, they went, when does this book come out? Wait, when does this come out? Okay. And, so let's, yeah. let's, let's pause on that okay. because that, that's very strong, but I want to, I want to talk about the, the fake until you make it slash impostering during the imposter syndrome period. So <laughs> What you did there, like what Jeremy sort of opened the door to you was that you don't have to be John Byrne to be the guy sitting at the table. So like you you were given this awareness that like you didn't have to be Mike Mignolo, like to be sitting at these tables. I I knew that. I knew that already. 
Okay. Because we, I had been to the motor. I mean, motor city is a, it's a regional local show, especially at that time it was smaller. And I had been there throughout part of high school and college and, and Jesse and I, when we would wander through, I mean, they'd have people, you know, Frank Miller. I remember when Frank Miller was there and Jim Lee and, um, but there were times where we'd be wandering by in comics we'd never heard of that were just little self-published things. And Jesse and I would elbow each other and go, we got to do this. We got to, at some point, we have to self-publish something. We have to actually, and then we can get a table and we can do this. Right. So I knew that you could be, you know, an amateur self-published, nobody's heard of you. You didn't have to be a star, but I thought you still had to have a comic. Like you had to have a whole issue done and printed whatever that meant whether it was actual printing or zine style printing or something you have to like unless you have a product that someone can walk away you know i can make a cutout sign behind me of my character out of cardboard sure but unless i have something for them to walk away with that is that character either in story form or whatever what's what's the point what what am i doing with my weekend right that's where i was having the disconnect the disconnect yeah so because like so my buddy like my buddy um college buddy and I, what we would do, we'd go sneak into the New York comic. It wasn't the New York comic con that yeah. it is now. It used to be like the, the Penn hotel across from, you know, the train station. It was nothing big. It was as big as it was, but it wasn't, you know, what it is right. now. And we would go there and we would just kind of sweet talk the girls who sort of ran the doors. And then they would, they would give us, give us free stamps. And then we would just go around and we would look for empty tables And we go, okay, cool. And we would just plunk our stuff down at an empty table and we would set up shop. Now we didn't have any comic books. Actually, he may have had a comic book because he actually did when we were in college, but may have been before or after, but we would just set our stuff up. You know, we'd hand draw out our name on a thing. We put out front, you know, just real ridiculousness. Um, But that pretending I think was really helpful in the sense of like, okay, this is a thing. Like I can sit here, I can sit at this table. I can answer somebody's question. I can show them my work. Like it wasn't this sort of like, this is an impossibility. And I felt that that from like, when I'm hearing you say that, like, I'm like, oh yeah, that was how I realized that like, it wasn't just a pipe dream. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, like I said, I had seen people do, I mean, sometimes when Jesse and I were elbowing each other, we were going, we do better work than that person. Sure. The problem sure. was we just hadn't finished better work than that person. Yeah, right. We didn't have anything done. Yeah, isn't that always the case? Like when you're young, or or, or you can or you hear it a hundred times. It's like, oh, I can do better than that guy. Well, yeah, but that guy did that. Yeah, you didn't. Right? Yeah. yeah, do it. Yep. Uh, okay, so that's cool. So I mean, so but that's really, I mean, that's really kind of very cool, and I think that's a, I mean. Yeah, I, listen. I I propose everybody who listens to this conversation, if you haven't been, in, if you want to get in the comic business and you live in a in a second mar- second and below market of a, a comic conventions, just snake a table, figure it out, <laughs> and, and, and and put yourself in the position because like you're gonna have to solve you're gonna have to solve problems. I mean, you know? I don't know what the I don't know what the uh, I don't know what the the expenses are now for for right. small small kind of shows, but um, small regional shows, but. At the at the time, an eight foot table was a hundred dollars. Sure. So, and at that time, also you could just get a half table, which was then fifty. Right, fifty bucks. And getting into the show for the weekend was 
like 25 or 30. Right. So you're in for, you're in and it only costs you 25 bucks. Right. And I was like, I was going to be here all weekend anyways. Right. And you know what? You're going to Now save, I have a place to sit and stash my stuff. And you'll save 25 bucks of buying something because you won't be running around. Right. It's a, it's a great way to save money. Yeah. Um, I love, I love that. So, okay. So, so in, in, in like you, like, I would do things like, you know, you all, you know, all artists do stuff on their own and you put it out on the table and I would, I would do these things and people go like, Hey, when, when's that comic coming out? Like I, like when you said that, I'm like, Oh yeah, totally yeah. have that memory. And I'm like, I didn't even really think that this is going to be a comic book. It was just a thing. Right. And what was weird is it was only happening with the mouse guard art. Okay. Well, that's, that's great market research. Right. And on un, completely unintentional, but sure. yeah, there was other stuff. I mean, some of the other stuff was copyrighted. You know, I had, I had a watercolor of Batman. I had a, um, you know, a Hellboy something in there. I, I had other characters. So obviously they're not asking me, when does this book come out? For right, right, right. They knew that. But, but there was other stuff that was just mine. Um, and they didn't ask about that stuff. They asked about the, the mouse drawings. When does that yeah. book come out? Yeah. Okay. So, and, and so this is what you said, 2004 ish. That was, that was uh, yeah. Late 2004. That was October of 2004. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. So how, where, where did the impetus from that come? I mean, like, was it, was it, was it D and D based? Was it uh, hanging out just BSing or like, what was the, what was the sort of the spark of that for you? Yeah. I mean, well, in high school, I had the idea of doing a, a, an animal. I loved talking animal stories. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to do a D and D adventure that was talking animals. And the the high school version of it had lots of different species. It was a lot closer to like Disney's Robin Hood. Yeah. Um, in fact, there were there was a fox and a bear in mine as well, although they weren't the main characters. Um, and then in college, I wanted to dust that idea off, and I thought about pushing it so that they were uh, more like Aesop's Fables, not kind of Disney humanoid cartoon characters with animal heads. Um, I thought, what if I made it more like Aesop's where they're the actual animal? And then what if I also infuse a bit of Tolkien where every species has its own culture, its own language, its own, you know, everything, Uh, which became really daunting. Not to mention, you know, instead of just elves, dwarves, men, and hobbits for culture and architecture, it's like, every species that could perceivably be together, you know, it's like Jesus. So, um, but the other problem was how do you keep small characters involved in the story? Um, Mm -hmm. If you're keeping all the predator prey relationships going, like you can, you can come up with some kind of story caveat where the, you know, the Fox has to keep the bunnies alive. Yeah. Um, Which is why he's not just eating them on this quest, but there's only so much of that that you can keep going you know, where it, it, it doesn't feel silly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I just, you know, I didn't want to do the like, Oh, it's a Fox with a conscience who wants to be the vegetarian. <laughs> you know, I just thought of like, you know, when the hobbits come out of the Shire, yes, the world of elves, dwarves, and men believe that they're too small to be able to change the world, mm-hmm. but they don't also go. And now lunch is served. <laughs> True. <laughs> And if I had small characters like rabbits or mice or things like that, like, oh, how, how do they come out and, and make any kind of meaningful impact on the story? How do they change the world without also being eaten? And I was like, that's actually the story. Yeah. 
I don't need the other characters. So that's where Mouse Guard came from. I love it, was, it. it was some out of the D&D stuff and, and role-playing adventures. Uh, it has a little bit of Boy Scouts in it. And then it was just that kind of, how do I make this Disney cartoon into Aesop's fables, inject a bit of Tolkien and make it work for me? Yeah. You know, it's, it's so I had this, this sort of this belief system of like, the age of 12 syndrome like we we lock into all these things that are super important to us for the rest of our life like sort of by the age of 12 like so whatever those things are they kind of resonate with us and carry on and like i i think almost everything i write has an air of something that was so important to me by that point in my life and and like and what you're saying all these things i'm like yeah those are the things i loved you know as a kid and yeah and that yeah i would love to mix all the ingredients of whatever that is and make the thing you know from that and that's exactly what you did with this um okay so you so the idea sort of goes from germination to sort of it, it coagulates into a form um and then and, people want to know when it's coming out and people right, right so you draw you draw you draw a mouse with a with a staff and then you draw another mouse with a sword and people are like hey what's going on here i want to know more about this because like yeah you know, that market is an interesting market in the comic book world i mean like usagi yojimbo has been around for a long time sure. and has such a great you know following and so when people see like really interesting versions of anthropomorphized animals they go i want to what is this i need more um which is great for you um so did you just like start collecting sort of you had this framework idea of like maybe what the the story idea world was and then you started just building characters and then said okay i need to create a quest or whatever characters were easy characters were some of the first things that came even you know before going to Motor City Comic Con because they were okay. based on friends of mine, oh, they were based yeah. on Mike, they were based on Jesse, and not just our our actual selves, but we had all role played enough together uh-huh. that I knew that the kind of characters we tended to play, mm. um, and that the role playing game adventures got interesting when we would butt heads in in game when our sure. characters butt, butt heads were we all have the same goal but we have different ways of wanting to achieve it. Yep. Um, and then you have character interesting clashes and, and it was like, I know how all of that stuff works for this group. I should yeah. just write those people as characters. So, um, so yeah, the characters were there. And then the, the original story thing was this like giant war with the weasels was what I had on deck. But yeah. when it, after motor city and people say, when does this book come out? I go, I, as a fir- as someone who's never actually finished a comic, right? Doing a weasel war is too much, and I also worried like I have a lot of information to try to get across about what is the mouse guard, what do mm-hmm. they stand for, why is it called the mouse guard, what who who are so it's animals, it's you know like yeah. I needed to get all that stuff across without even getting into the plot of a you know now another speed now we have to look at a whole other species and culture sure. of the weasels yet. So I just came up with a first issue that I thought was like, um, it was the on-ramp. You know, if stories, if a good story is moving along at freeway speeds, you can't expect somebody who's just pulling out of their garage, you know, a customer who's essentially walking down the aisle at Comic-Con, pulling out of their driveway speeds, mm-hmm. to then pick up the issue and instantly be going, 
at highway speeds, you got to give them an on-ramp. You got to make it surface streets. And then that, you know, that place where they can rev up to speed. And, and yeah, I just wrote a first issue that I felt like did that. I abandoned any kind of story stuff that I had before. I mean, I didn't abandon it, but I just went, I'm not, I'm not touching that. I'm doing something new that just explains what the hell mouse guard is both actually explains it, but also just in the feel, like I want to get the vibe. I want to set the tone. Mm. People know what to expect. Who am I as a storyteller with mouse guard? This, this is who I am. Yeah. How did you, well, like, how did you determine to say like, Hey, I'm going to sort of break the issues into seasons of, you know, of these years. Like what was your, well, I mean, the first issue was just an issue. Um, In fact, it didn't even have a twist. Um, And that was the the only issue that I self-published. So there was no like fall uh, subtitle on it. It was just, um, in fact, I gave it a subtitle of belly. That issue was called belly of the beast. And that's all it was. It was mouse guard, belly of the beast. Uh, And then I put a twist on the very end so that I thought if this works, I want to be able to come back. Yeah. Nice. Well, I, I love that. I love that instinct that, that, that like as a writer, you know, you know, a young writer has this like, well, I better I, I got to figure a way like if this, you know, because in our head, the way in the back is like and not so quiet, but it's in the back and it goes, yay, you know, like this is this this could happen. Like someone could really like this and like, you know, and someone's going to want to see another one of these. And so you you kind of like probably hit this point where you go like, well, I can't make this the end. Like this right. has to be sort of like, how does this make this the beginning? Um, well, and I, and I knew that like, even if I had wrapped it up, it wasn't like I closed it. Like now there's no more stories to tell, but I just thought doing the next issue would be kind of like doing this one. It would be, have to be almost another standalone or another beginning issue, a beginning of whatever that story was. And I just thought yeah. like, if I put a hook on this, I already have the first issue then done. Like the first or the first chapter of the ongoing story is done. This isn't a standalone prologue. Um, so yeah, I wanted to put that hook on and, and then uh, you know, the deal happened to do it with Archaea and, and actually have it be published. Uh, and I don't know where in that framework it became fall that I, that we, because every issue was getting its own subtitle. I, maybe that's what it was. It was like, how are we going to, define this how are we going to collect this and i said well the first volume should just be called fall um and fall worked because it was uh both set in the autumn but it also has to do with the fall of the mouse guard yeah Yeah, right like a fall from grace kind of a thing so um and then the second one i wanted to call winter because i wanted to do right after and then i thought it was just kind of a neat uh, a neat little like gimmick i guess yeah to go what if i did a whole a whole series that was set in the snow. Um, There's a little bit of like empire strikes back kind of feel there. Like, Hey, if we're doing this crazy sequel where the mice are already down, let's, let's put them in the snow. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And then after that, it was, it's been a huge uh, mistake to name them after seasons because (laughs) the question is, when do we get spring? Right. And I did a, I got tight. I felt like I'd answered the question a ton about how that's not how it's going to progress. And, you know, the third book is actually called the black ax. It's a prequel. It takes place over about a year's worth of time. So there's not individual seasons. Right. Um, so I felt like I had answered it and I still kept getting wind spring, wind spring. So I was like, and I said, 
I don't want it so that every season of their lives is an epic epic thing. Like maybe the only thing that happens in spring is they clean up after the rains, you know? Yeah. I mean, so I, I did a short story that ended up becoming, we ended up putting it in the black ax book as a prologue. Um, but I did an 11 page story that was, I titled spring 1153. That's pretty much just cleaning up, just doing a little bit of spring harvest, spring cleanup, remarking territories, uh, remarking the scent border, finding paths, that kind of stuff. And so many people thought that that was the teaser for the spring 1153 series. And I was like, no, I gave you 1153 spring 1153. It was 11 pages. That's it. So yeah, the, the season thing ended up being a little bit of a, a mistake. Yeah. Well, I guess, I mean, I guess, you know, I mean, there are those structure devices that happen and then they sort of work for a period, but then, you know, they can, I guess, work against you if you, yeah. you know, God forbid, have another idea, you know? So like it, it, it can be, it can be, I guess, double-edged in that sense. Um, so the, the first, you know, the first thing you did, like how many, like you self-published, how many copies did you publish and what, what, what did you, what was your reception, or at least your perception of a reception? I think I did about, it was weird because self print on demand, it was print on demand. So. In I, 2005? Okay. Two, yeah. 2005. Yeah. Um, I did the, I, I had a hundred of them for Motor City Co- Comic Con. And then I know I did at least one more big order because there were family members and other people who wanted copies. Um, and then the print-on-demand place would also sell through their site. Mm, okay. Um, so I think we, when we figured it all out, we estimated that it was about 250 issues were published. Okay. Um, but in some ways they were done in some spurts, but I think also because of the print-on-demand nature and their site, some of them were just being printed as needed. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I printed a hundred copies thinking that was going to do me and I sold out of them on a weekend at motor city. So the reception was huge. I had people coming by even going like, is this where you get that mouse comic? My, my table neighbor has a copy. I want, is this the place where you get that? I had somebody come up and go, you're the darling of the convention. Every, everybody here has a copy of mouse guard. And I was like, wow, I, that's amazing. So yeah, I thought I felt the reception was really good um, right out of the gates. It's it, was, it was nice. Um, oh, it's, it's such a, it's such a nice thing because it's such a gamble, you know. And uh, yeah. you know, but the thing is, is only the only thing we have to gamble is our, you know, is on with our creativity. And like, it is great when someone puts all the chips on that line and says, "Okay, well, I'm going to go for this." And so. That that first Motor City where I had comics, um, Jer- Jeremy and I had sat next. Even though I had a half table, Jeremy had a full table next to me at the two thousand and the October two thousand four uh, convention. And I left there going, "I'm going to do a first issue. I'm going to do Mouse Guard for the the spring show." Motor City ran twice a year at that point, so I said, "I'm going to have one for the spring show." And Jeremy went, "Well, I'm going to try to make a comic also." And we both had had some experience working with somebody, helping somebody get files ready for a print-on-demand book. So we knew the process of how to how to make the pipeline, you know, where you get a finished book. You just have to yeah. do the art. So I was doing Mouse Guard. Jeremy did a comic. 
And then we had some stuff that we, some short stories that we had done that we knew weren't, it, that's actually why we knew about the self-public or the print-on-demand stuff. We knew that they had been printed for somebody else and they were never going to be printed again. We said, why don't we just take those short stories and then come up with a couple new small things. Mm-hmm. And between our two tables, we'll have three comics. We'll have yeah. Mouth Guard, your comic, and then this anthology thing that we did together that's all these shorts. So we really like put our money on that on that line. We, we had th- between us three issues. Yeah, wow. Um, but to your point, like Mouse Guard did really well and sold out. The anthology did eh. And Jeremy's standalone book didn't. Um, mm. And it was really hard. It was hard for me as a person next to him to then sure. be able to enjoy my success. But also to for him, especially, you know, he yep. put all this work into this thing and it's just not, it's not getting there. In fact, it's part of the lessons that he learned or that he feels like he learned what he, what he took as the lesson of why that didn't work is exactly what Cursed Pirate Girl then is a result from. Oh, okay. He went, I'm going to fix all the things that I think limited my audience, didn't appeal to them, and then I'm going to do a book that, that you know, still feels like me, but addresses those, and that's Cursed Pirate Girl. So okay. he, he, he made some lemonade out of those lemons, but it was, it was a struggle for him. He put, you know, good money into it and a lot of time and yeah. didn't end up working, so... My story isn't everybody's. I can say that. Oh, dude. uh, Yeah. No, no. I know that. I mean, I, I, as many friends I have who are, you know, had the success that I have just as many who've, you know, had those struggles and we all, and listen, we all have struggles in different stuff. You know, I mean, it, it, this, you did other stuff and then you did mouse guard and then you're like, okay, I know, now I know where my audience is and you can, you can build on that, which is fortunate. Um, so that you did that you did that first thing I guess is somewhere under six months around there eight six eight months. Yeah, yeah. I was working a full time job. I, I'm really bad actually at being able to calculate how long or when I started because people ask when you start drawing it, and it's like, well, it kind of seems reasonable that I would have started at the end of 2004, but I might also not have. Yeah. Um, I the convention was in May, and I know that I had to have everything in in April so that I would get my books in time. Right. Yeah. Um, so it might have been like four months, actually, depending on when I started, because I can't remember if I like I, I know I didn't like come home from Motor City and start drawing page one the next day. I know that didn't happen. Yeah. You get it, dust off the whiteboard and you started breaking right. all that. Yeah, right. Just got home, left all my convention set up in the car and just wiped <laughs> everything off the table. Page one. Of course, that will be that will be the uh, the television version of what happened. Right. Right. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> the stuff stayed in the car. Um, you went home and you 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 started playing video games or something. Yeah, like that's yeah. the reality. I think I just slept. I think I slept. I think I unpacked the car and then slept because hadn't gotten a lot of sleep over the weekend and I had to go to work on Monday. Right, right. Yeah, I'm sure you 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 and your wife celebrated at least selling a hundred comics. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we had a we we had a you know Sunday shows tend to end a little early, so once the conventions all torn down we made a tradition of going out to a, at that time, fancy dinner um, at TGI Fridays. Sweet. I mean, it was kind of a, it was like all the people that were kind of in our convention crowd. Okay. We're going to, we're going to go blow the money. We just made at TGI Fridays. 
convention meals are some of the best meals like having having meals with your friends and you know at the you know at after the shows or whenever it's the best yeah it really is a, a great a great luxury um so let's just talk a little bit about the process for you now in relationship to the process then which was needing to figure it out because you had had this sort of imposed deadline of the convention uh, but now you're making your own books and so how do you how do you structure your story development time your writing time and and illustration time like how do you structure that out uh right now it's in a weird place of flux i really it's been so long since i've done a long form so i'm working right now on a I'm working on what is the fourth book of Mouse Guard, and it is that big weasel war story that I avoid avoided mm. touching at the beginning. Sure. Um, and it's been both so long since I've done a long format story, and this is that story that was kind of so big I was afraid to get into it right. that I'm kind of not knowing what I'm doing and 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 even giving myself permission to go, don't, like you know, if this was your process before, it doesn't have to be your process this time. So okay, good. the, the other books kind of went on this slow, the first book, I didn't write anything other than an outline. And then I'd just draw. Okay. And then I'd come back and put in the dialogue and words later. Winter book. I did some writing because there was a lot more conversational stuff and I needed to know where the panel beats were to know where, you know, who was reacting in what way I needed to know what they were saying and when, but I would still write in these smaller segments. I would write almost like scene by scene. And then I would draw those pages and then the next scene, write it, draw those pages. When I did the black ax book, I had written complete script before I started drawing. Now I'm kind of back to, I don't know. <laughs> it's a hybrid system now. I don't know. Yeah. Now it's just like, what are you, what are you feeling right now? Cause yeah. if you, if you're not feeling something, the terror is setting in and you're going to go hide under the bed. Right. Yeah. But um, yeah, in general, I, I, I definitely need some words first, unless it's like just an action scene, mm-hmm. but I need some words first so that I can, um, you know, I have a template file for mouse guard pages in Photoshop I can put the type in so that I know how much of the panel is going to be eaten up by, by balloons Mm -hmm. Um, because it's all digital at that point. I can, I can move stuff around. I can change the shape of the panels. I can, you know, if I'm like, Oh, that's going to be really tight. Well, let's just change the size of the panel instead of changing the words. And sometimes I even go like, well, we'll just spread this out onto two pages. I thought it was only one and something's going to have to give later on, but I'll figure that that's tomorrow's problem. (laughs) Okay. Um, and then, yeah, I, I will start sketching out stuff uh, for panels. I generally do that on just copy paper. And then I'll scan it and I'll put it into Photoshop. Uh, I don't like working digitally. I don't like drawing digitally. Um, mm-hmm. I don't feel like I get my best work. I also automatically have an archive if I do pencil to paper. Yep. Um, if I do digital, I have to be cognizant of saving files every so often and then naming them in such a way that I could ever find them again and not delete them. Sure. If it's just on paper, a stack goes on the side table. And when there's enough of them, they go in the file cabinet under, mm-hmm. you know, mouse guard weasel war. <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I put stuff into Photoshop. I'll resize it. I'll mirror it to make sure that I don't have like wonky eyes or something. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then I print that out. I tape it onto the back of a sheet of Bristol. I ink it traditionally uh, on a light pad where I can see through the Bristol. Yep. Um, scan that, digitally color it, do final lettering tweaks, and on to the next batch of pages. Nice. And do you break, do you gang up stuff? I mean, do you gang like a bunch of pencil pages? But it, like, oh, just, yeah. not too much, no. Okay. Um, I really hate uh, leaving pencils uninked for too long. Okay. Interesting. Uh, well, one, I, do, I, I never liked the idea of like drawing or, or like even thumbnailing the whole issue. I don't like doing that. Okay. Uh, but thumbnailing it and getting, you know, you, so you thumbnailed from page one to page 24 or 36 or whatever. And now I have to pencil them. And mm -hmm. I start back at page one and then you do all the way through to page 24 or 36 now right. inking them. And it feels like you've done the issue four times by the That's time true. you're done. And then you script it. Yeah. And, and it's like, this is too much. I, yeah. I just, I, I hate this idea of like starting over. It feels like I'm not getting anywhere, even though you're obviously making progress. Um, so I don't love that idea for starters, but also I hate leaving my pencils uninked for too long because I come back at them and I go, Oh, well, I see. Yep, 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 yep. What was I doing here? Like, yeah. and it's not like it's so loose that you can't tell. Like, I, I have fairly tight pencils. They're not, they're not that much for interpretation. But I know that there's stuff when I'm penciling that I'm even just making mental notes about texture mm -hmm. or about, you know, if you have a character up against a background and you want to make sure the character's popping forward, I'll be thinking as I'm penciling it, like, leave a little bit of... Uh, you know, f feather feather the background inks as you're getting closer to the character and leave a little bit of a white halo around the character. That way I can do a color hold on the background and really push that depth. And you're thinking all those kinds of things. Yeah. Sometimes they're not just like line tangents, but also like value tangents and stuff like that. That's hard to, to indicate in pencil. Sure. And to you're thinking about it. And then if you yeah. ink it right away, you're going to solve all the problems because you're already cognizant of it. If you wait a week and come back, you're like, what the hell was I doing here? Yeah. Are those marks texture? Are those marks? I don't know what that even is. Right. Yeah. No, that, no that's, that's interesting. Cause like, yeah, I have, friend, I have a friend who, you know, can't leave a page. Like he'll, he'll pencil a page, but he like has to go right in and ink it. And like the way he describes it is more of a compulsive nature rather than this sort of like, I might forget, what, what I've indicated here, but it makes sense. I mean, like I'm looking, I look at it from the point of view of the, you know, the, 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 the workflow of making a comic book with a writer, a penciler, an inker, a colorist, sure. and a letter. Sure. But you're not looking at it in that framework because you're handling all those tasks. Well, and sometimes there is like, you can get in a groove. Yeah of inking. And so it's nice to have several inked pages ready. Just so like when you're in inking mode, you're in inking mode. I, I get that. Yeah. And then sometimes I'll, I'll have, you know, two penciled pages before I have to start inking two or maybe even three. Um, yeah. But I really don't like leaving them for too long. No, but I, I totally get like your explanation really solves that sort of riddle in my head of the idea of like the, it's the lost information. You know, it's that it's that like when you're out, you're doing something or whatever it is, and that idea for the story pops in your head, yeah. and you go, "All right, cool, I'll remember this." And then even you if, get even if you jot it down, and even then if you, you open the little thing on your phone or you get a pad right. of paper out and you jot it down, yeah. and then you come home and you look at it and you're like, 
there was more to this than what I've scribbled. Oh yeah, but what if you don't jot it down? Sure. And, just, and then you come home, and you're like, what was that thing that I remembered? It was really. And then the thing is, it becomes really, really good in your mind and memory yeah. that yeah. you can't remember. Um, yeah, I, it's tough. I yeah, I mean, I I use I use the you know the voice memo thing all the time on yeah. the phone. I type in things. I write in my notebook. Like I'm, I constantly just making sure I get these things because. Yeah. And that other thing is what you're saying, man, like all those notes where you go like, is that all I wrote down? Right. Like, I really think I should have written a little more here. Well, like you could, you could, you could have an idea and when you're excited about it, or, or it could be about the idea of the art, you know, when you're penciling it and you might be thinking like, oh, this needs to have all the kind of energy and life as, and then insert whatever inspiration point you have, whether it's a movie or a TV show or another artist or something. And so there's all this tonal framework for why that idea is good and makes sense and the context in which you're going to then present it. Yeah. But it's really hard to put all that into a note or into pencils. And so yeah. even if the even if the bare bones thing is there in the pencils or you've written out the the idea as clearly as possible, all the other stuff, if that emotion doesn't come with it, when it's time to do the thing, it can be really hollow. And you're like, yeah. why was this a good idea? I don't know that this is a good idea. Yeah, for sure. And, 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 and there's not this in comic books doesn't afford like the luxury of, of reshoots, so to speak. Like I right. mean, you don't have this, like, or the rewrite that, a, that a novel has or a script has like, you, you know, it's like, okay, well, I got. I got to get this page finished because there's a whole bunch more to go. And well, I, I also need to get the page finished just on my own, like so I'm not losing heart. Yeah. The yeah, like um, uh, Jesse and some other people will sometimes make fun of me that I sometimes like to ink before I'm finished penciling, and there is sometimes some truth in that. Um, yeah. it, there's always the worry that it, if you don't nail part of it down, right? Like this part's working. I'm going to nail it down right. because if I don't, when the other stuff isn't working, I might be convinced I need to erase that panel that's working to accommodate for all the other stuff. Like if mm -hmm. everything's up for grabs, you can constantly be in this, like, let's reshuffle, let's rework, let's re oh, for sure. And, and so like, I need to get stuff nailed down and go, this part's working and everything else is going to have to accommodate to that. Yeah. So even if this stuff isn't working right now, I'm inking the part that is definitely working before I, I lose it either through lack of confidence or I accidentally just smudge it or something like I sure. want to ink that. I want to get that part done. So yeah. I will ink a panel on a page before I have the rest of the page completed. completely penciled or figured out. That's so that's so interesting. I was when I talked to, uh, to Noah Van Skyver on his his book, uh, his graphic novel. I mean, he came he would you know, it was so long. It was like 250, 80 pages. I was really long. And he's like, I would find myself like drawing something. And I had to go back to earlier pages because I was drawing whatever I was drawing so much better than I was 40 pages ago. And I had to go back in and change faces and stuff just to make things work. And you have to come up with your mental rules for how, how much you'll allow that to affect, you know, at right. what point aren't you re just redrawing everything and the then thing, right. Yeah, like and what's then the constant cycle? Whenever you hit, yeah. you know, whenever the mile marker hits 120 more pages or 60 more pages, you're all of a sudden enough better than you were the last time. You got to go redo them again. 
Yeah. And then your odometer hits 60 pages again. And yeah, like you got to set rules for yourself if you'd start doing that stuff. There's a crazy drafting software. It's an online thing where it will start to erase what you've written if you don't keep a writing pace up. Like it will, like if you just sit there and leave it blank, it'll start erasing. I'm like, it's a very insidious and brilliant, you know, way to motivate, like, you know, that sort of like, got to keep going, got to keep going. God for God forbid that, you know, you have to get up because there's a plumbing or, you know, the bathtub's overflowing or that. I, I would assume there has to be some sort of function the, of saving and, you know, the dogs fighting a raccoon in the yard. Right. Or someone, yeah, the, we, the male person just slipped on the ice in front of your house. And you're going to get sued unless you go help them. You know, you gotta like, and there goes your draft. Yeah, the whole thing. You come back, and the you know, bad day just turned into the worst day. I there's a video game on the old Mac and not no, pre Macintosh, the Apple II, and it was called Ultima, and it was like it was an old school, you know, Dungeons and Dragons adventure thing, and it was you know, no graphics whatsoever. Um, and I remember I would I built up a character, and I think like. Hey, it's lunchtime. And I ran off to go to lunch. And then of course things happen, things happen. I came back like hours later and I walked in the room and I heard like, what's that weird sound? I walked up to the computer and it was like the last two hit points of the character as like random had just come in and yeah. So that's, that's, that's like, don't let the goblins or weasels get what you're working on. Yeah. (laughs) Protect them at all costs. That's right. Oh, well, I think we did it. We did, we do it. I think we did it. I think so. I think you did it. You're good. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Cool, David. Man, it was a pleasure. Yeah, having a conversation with you, man. This was a this is enlightening for me in many many ways. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, I've been, I I really do enjoy your work, and uh, and I know a lot of people do. Our my local comic book uh, shop was super excited to hear that I was going to be talking with you, and awesome. uh, yeah, they were like, oh, put in a good word for us. So you know, Comic Envy in Asheville loves you. Um, you're, you're well, you're well loved there. And, uh, and where can people find you? Uh, I eat is the best hub. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm at mouseguard on Twitter, Instagram and hive. Welcome to hive. Um, I'm my own name, but you have to spell it right. David Peterson, P E T E R S E N. Yes. Um, on Facebook. Uh, I also stream on Twitch on Mondays and Wednesdays. Um, under my name, under David Peterson. You can watch me work. Sometimes I'm drawing, sometimes I'm inking, sometimes I'm coloring. Um, sometimes I'm making architectural models. It's it's, it's a different day every day. That's exciting. So um, yeah, those are the places. Uh, David Peterson, or I'm sorry, mouseguard.net is the uh, is is the hub where you're going to find the links to the other places. If, so if you're going to forget everything but one, remember mouseguard.net. Well, I will put it in the description. So... Even if they forget, they can just look down below. There we go. Yeah. Right on. Well, hey, good luck getting back to it. Um, the Thanks. Weasel Wars. Can't wait to see what the Weasel Wars uh, bring. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, till next time, everyone. Carry on. And thanks for tuning in. <laughs>